When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you don't go to geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything! Welcome to Real Jam Radio. I'm Danny Wuru, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. My guest is Adi Joseph, the deputy editor of the Sporting News and my boss at the Sporting News, and I really wanted his perspective on the, a wild first two weeks of July. So we start out with the moves we liked and didn't like, but then we move into something that I wanted to do with him, which is ranking the conferences in tiers. And of course, it's too early to do anything definitive, but to just kind of give an idea of the shape of the league right now and who's a playoff contender and all that sort of thing. Conversation runs about an hour and 45 minutes so it's long but it's good you can listen to it in pieces if you want there will be timestamps. and also this episode is sponsored by blue apron fantastic company and you can find out more about them and get three free meals at blueapron.com slash real gm that's blueapron.com slash real gm and here's Adi joseph thanks so much for coming on hey thanks for having me as always so we are Basically, two weeks into July and into the off season, and of course there are a lot of a lot of big things, and I, I think there's one that we'll probably start with. But what what have you been your largest takeaway so far from the first two weeks of July? I think you've seen a lot of teams suggesting that they believe that they're contenders right now, especially in the Eastern Conference. It seems like everyone except the Sixers and Nets fully believes that they will be a playoff team next season. And in other off seasons where not everyone has cap space, I think there are usually a couple teams in each conference, a, a small handful, maybe four teams in each conference that kind of go into the season knowing that they're not necessarily going to be in contention. And sometimes like last year, the Portland trailblazers by all means seem to be one of those teams so sometimes it doesn't work out quite that way. But this year, it seemed like everyone was approaching this offseason with the mentality of, uh, let's make sure we're good. Let's make sure that we're taking advantage of this cap space. And so that, to me, has been a, a, a pretty clear takeaway is a lot of teams expect to be very good next year. Yeah, I think that's a good way of thinking about it. There's a, a fundamental optimism in this in this offseason because you saw teams add. And while 
there are some moves that people might try to claim are stealth tanking. I don't think it's really that at all. I think that, you know, maybe other than the Nets just kind of keeping their powder dry for the most part, but that's completely justifiable for, for what they were going through. I think a lot of teams, you know, were aggressive about it. And while I disagreed in in some, maybe many cases, with their decisions on that, there is that idea, and I think that's part of what led to what has been kind of a storyline after that, which is that the teams are spending more money, and that led to the NBA changing their projection for the cap next year. Yeah, and I think one of the funny things about that is we also sort of, I, it's it's very hard to, to break down the nitty-gritty of who's got a good front office and who doesn't, but... I think we saw some teams that we know kind of have shakier front offices really make some moves that could hurt their franchise. Just, you know, obviously, for an obvious one, I think the uh, the New York Knicks did not have a very good last month. <laughs> um, but it, it's been a it's it's a, when you give everyone this much money, there's going to be some separation between the teams that know exactly what their identity is and know what they're targeting and the teams that are trying to find that. And that's kind of bared itself out, too. Yeah, I think that's that's a, a good way of thinking about it, kind of a healthy way. And you brought up the Knicks, and the team that I would also think about is, is another large market team, which is the Lakers. And so both of those teams, I have been a proponent and did this in the offseason previews, which I wrote and you so deftly edited – where for those teams in particular, I focused on the idea of, you know, being optimistic about their futures and that you, you didn't want to tie up too much long-term money because they were going to look better 12 months from now than they do presently. And both the Knicks and the Lakers went, as I expected, but went exactly the opposite path and basically spent up almost all of their long-term flexibility this year. Yeah. The decision to pay Timothy Mozgov that contract right at the very outset of free agency was without a doubt both the most cynical move of the offseason and simultaneously the least understandable, even from a cynical perspective. Because to let that contract set the market, I, I, I don't understand it to this day, and I have tried. And I'm sorry, but Timothy Mozgov and Luol Deng are going to be eating up 30 plus million dollars, 34 million of what or whatever dollars in 2021. <laughs> and uh, that just, uh, or 2020, I'm sorry, the, the, the summer of 2020. And that just doesn't, I, I can't, <laughs> that's, I still can't quite wrap my head around that. I think that leads into one of my favorite things of this offseason, which is that once that once that contract came out, and you know Nate Duncan and I recorded that night, and we wondered about how that was going to affect the market. And while it took a few days to write itself, what ended up happening is teams treated that as an aberration. Teams didn't, you know, it yeah. wasn't like that set the market for Jan Mahinmi, for Bismack Biombo. Well, Whiteside got his max, so he's separate. They eventually they ended up getting the same money, which ties into this idea, which is that there is in many times an early mover's advantage. The best example of this is probably recently was the Blazers with Al Farouk Aminu, where you strike early and you get a guy on what is a good deal. That's never a bad thing. But when you strike early and get a deal that isn't good, then you should have waited. And I think that's what the Mozgov, the legacy of the Mozgov deal is, is not, 
oh, they anticipated the market and that's just the way it went. They signed this guy and despite being a major market, despite having a ton of playing time at that position, they didn't get a discount. They didn't get anything like that. And so it didn't affect the market because it couldn't have because it wouldn't have sustained itself. You know, no one brought this up. I think it was a very un- uncriticized, under-discussed deal, but I felt like the Wizards did the same thing with Bradley Beal. I mean, they didn't have to give him a five-year max. He's not worth a He hasn't proven worth a five-year max. They could have let him hit restricted free agency and just match. He would have gotten a max four-year deal, but, I mean, that's that's another good example of if you're going to try to strike early, you do what the Hornets did with Nick Batum, and you talk your guy down, and you say, we want to give you five years. We desperately want you to stay. How about we go a little lower than the max? And once the negotiation is off the table to do that, and especially in restricted free agency, why rush to give a player who has not even come close to being an all-star the five-year max right away? The challenge with Beal, and that, that makes him different than a guy like Andre Drummond, is that in Drummond's case, obviously, a, a three-plus-one, meaning three guaranteed years and a player option, is a substantially less team-friendly deal than a five-year max because Drummond is an yes. incredible player. So in those kind of circumstances, those players have real leverage. You know, Kawhi Leonard, yeah. those type of guys. Bradley Beal is not one of those guys. I'm not completely sure, and this was the same issue that would have persisted with Harrison Barnes if the Warriors situation had gone differently, is I'm not completely sure that Beal and Barnes... Giving them a three plus one is so much more devastating than a five because they have this uncertainty, which those guys do not. Yeah, and I mean, and Beal is right in the same camp as Chandler Parsons in terms of injuries. I said Bradley Beal is not guaranteed to stay healthy for a full season. He hasn't done it. I mean, we're we're talking about a guy who has had major injury problems and has, when he has been healthy, has not taken the strides they've looked for. And it, it's a gamble that I understand. It's a gamble that paid off for them with John Wall in a different setting. But it still seemed like it, 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 I lumped that in with the Mozgov deal in sort of worrying too much about the effects of this cap and jumping and saying, hey, we've got the money. Let's just spend it. And, and they and, could and, have just sat back and let Bradley Beal get his four-year year with a player option offer sheet and probably been better off as a franchise. I, I agree with you, but and the, the difference I could see it from their perspective is that if for whatever reason they they thought that a five year deal was more palatable than a three plus one, it was a virtual certainty that he was going to get that at least with the four point five percent raises that another team could do. Like the Sixers would give would yeah. have given him that offer sheet, the Nets would of have course. given him that offer sheet in a heartbeat, but. As we said, I'm not sure that offer is too much worse for them. And I think the Wizards are another another interesting example of it, and I'm actually working on a piece which will relate to this issue, is that they also created a weird situation for themselves with their other prominent signing, which was Yao Mahimi. So they were originally going after Al Horford. <laughs> Al Horford, very talented player, big man, can kind of bounce between the, the positions, can play some power forward, play some center. He went to... Boston, which of course we'll talk about. So Washington reacted with Mahimi. Mahimi is a straight five, and they already have a straight five in Marcin Gortat, both of whom, I think both of them are on reasonably good contracts, but I don't see how that works if you can't really slide either of them over. No, I didn't understand that that at all. Uh, and, and then I they signed Jason Smith. And, and by the way, and I want to just say this because I think that people underestimate him, 
Martin Gortat is good. <laughs> Martin Gortat, Martin Gortat might have had the best season of anyone on the Wizards last year in terms of staying healthy the whole year, putting in a very productive season. Um, obviously, he's not as talented as John Wall, but he was there and he was a rock and he has been everything that they hoped he would be. He led the team in win shares last year. You know, I like Otto Porter. I like Bradley Beal. I like what the Wizards have. I feel like Ernie Grunfeld just doesn't know how to build a team. <laughs> yeah, he was the center for a top five defense. They were fifth, to, not this past season, but the season before. And they were ninth the season before that. And in the in most recent season, not only were they devastated by injuries, but Grunfeld traded away a lot of their good defenders in an effort to make the team faster. You know, they were trying to play faster, and so the idea was to change, basically change Randy Whitman's style by changing his personnel. And, you know, to a limited degree early on, that did work because they couldn't play the the more plotting style that they had. But the problem with it is that they added Jared Dudley, which is good, but they got rid of and had a lot of injuries to their other defenders. Yeah. They're they're a very interesting team coming into this season. On one hand... That starting five, I mean, and I know we're going to talk about the tiers in the East. That starting five is very good. That starting five, whether it's Mahinmi or Gortat, is very good. You have, at full health, John Wall, Bradley Beal, Otto Porter, Markeith Morris, and Gortat or Mahinmi. You have a team that, if healthy and if Wall in particular, you know, pulls back on the turnovers and starts taking smarter shots like he knows how to do, like he proved two years ago he can do. But I think last year felt a lot of pressure with Beal out. That's a good team. That's a very good team. And they now finally have a new coach. They just, they've made some puzzling moves that I don't necessarily like for the future of the franchise either. Yeah, it, it's a challenge with them. And they lost Ramon Sessions to a deal that they essentially could have offered. I don't know if he would rather play in Charlotte than play there because they had his early bird rights. So he ended up going, and they added Trey Burke, which is more cost-effective. Burke is cheap, but he also adds a degree of uncertainty because he hasn't proven it in the way Sessions has. And John Wall doesn't have the injury history Bradley Beal does, but has quite the history himself. So uh, what concerns me about them is, we saw last year that Beal being out really hurt, hurt them as a team. Like it just took, it took away a lot of their offensive firepower, and John Wall devastated them. I believe that was the year before. It might have been two years before. And so now they have a great starting five, as you said, and I think they're deep in the front court. but a single backcourt injury basically sinks their season. Yep, and yeah, you don't want Trey Burke as your starting point guard. No, you really don't. <laughs> you don't. I wanted to take a quick moment to tell you about Blue Apron. They are a absolutely fantastic company that I've been able to, to enjoy their product for a few months now. And their mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone. And they do that through quality ingredients. And one of the most impressive ways that they've done it to me is actually through the food itself. And so my sister is a marine biologist. She's, she cares a lot about sustainable fishing. And when I got the first fish, I believe it was salmon, from Blue Apron, I read her the label, and she was blown away, and she ended up getting Blue Apron for herself. And as somebody who cares about this, she, she always looks into it, and she said that the Blue Apron that she got was the most sustainable seafood that she has eaten all year, and that's all of 2016 as somebody who cares about it. So Blue Apron not only brings you the cooking confidence that you can get through giving you the ingredients and great instructions and making it 
straightforward to follow, but they also do it with sustainable ingredients. So if you care about that, if you care about food waste, it all fits together with Blue Apron. And you can try it out. You don't have to just take my word for it. You can try it out by using blueapron.com slash realgm. So it's a, it's a URL. You go to that site, and you can get three meals free, and that includes free shipping. So you can try it out, see if it works for you. As I said, I've been using it for months and have been incredibly impressed with the quality of their products from meat to seafood to veggies. I think some of the veggies that I've cooked with this have been among the best that I've had recently. And trying things in different ways, using new cooking techniques, actually made a, a chicken roll last night using pizza dough, which is something that I've never done before. It tasted great, something very different. And now that is a skill that I have in my repertoire. I know, I know how to do that. I can go to the store and get my own ingredients, or I can use Blue Apron and adapt it. You know, you can do whatever you want to do. But again, it is blueapron.com slash real GM. And now back to the conversation with Adi Joseph. The other team that completely dumbfounded me, and this one we have to extend to the draft because of the trade they made on draft night, which is Orlando. And Orlando... I extend that further back than that. Yeah, that, that's true. Well, you could extend <laughs> it back a long way. And so or, Orlando did a couple of things that... Well, so yeah, let's extend it back a little bit. So We got Mo Harkless. You got to yeah. start there. So, Waited so him for nothing. Throughout the season, I mean, and, and I got crap from Magic fans, but I think... Time has vindicated that about how they gave up a bunch of a bunch of things that I considered assets for nothing. Mo Harkless, who they weren't playing, so people go, "Oh, they weren't playing him." Mo Harkless for nothing. Tobias Harris, they traded him functionally for cap space and for a backup point guard who is now gone. They then, let your guy Kyle O'Quinn walk for nothing too. Yeah, Kyle. Oh, that's a great point. Kyle O'Quinn walked for nothing, and then they traded Channing Fry, which is a little bit more justifiable just because he hadn't shown them as much, though I thought he was underappreciated there. And so they do all that, and the, the bet that they are making is on cap space. And They traded Tobias Harris for Jeff Green. Yes. You, can't, you cannot look at it. You cannot look at the facts in this situation and come away with a different conclusion than they traded Tobias Harris for Jeff Green. So what made it so frustrating is that so they did all this in a year that people like me and like you had been talking about how cap space was just not going to be that valuable. This wasn't a, a novel idea. It was that everyone was going to have space. All the players knew it, and so you were going to have to overpay. And Orlando was not a premium destination. And so there were things about their offseason that I liked. I think Bismack Biombo is, is a good player for them. He can help establish a defensive identity. I mean, Serge Ibaka for one year, if that's all he stays, is, is fascinating. He's a talent, of course, a very talented guy that we still need to see how he ages. But the whole <laughs> or, how, <laughs> little, or how old he is. But. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, and so so they have some things in terms of the talent, but then the whole picture just makes no sense. It, it's a team that had at one point eleven or twelve, and I'm even including Dwayne Dedman in this conversation. I'm including Andrew Nicholson, who they let walk away. They had at one point something like twelve young players, twelve guys under twenty five, who looked all of them like rotation players. If not good players, Andrew Nicholson might not be good, but Andrew Nicholson looks a whole lot like a rotation player, and he showed a lot of progress last season, and they let him walk. They have have repeatedly, they've basically cut the number of those under-25 rotation players in half. With it's zero, really with zero under- compensation other than Serge Ibaka on a rental. Very little compensation if Ibaka walks. And then, on, oh, and you should even include 
DeMontis Sabonis or another. They say they were going to draft Sabonis anyway. So DeMontis Sabonis is another under 25 probable rotation player who they let walk, who they gave up in this, in this process. They basically cut their number of young guys in half, which still means they have a lot of young guys. But this, what that does is all of the massively positive gains from the Dwight Howard trade suddenly now look like a standard issue rebuilding job instead of a core of ridiculously young, ridiculously high potential, low risk type players that they, that they targeted. They targeted athleticism. They targeted size. They targeted things that you're supposed to target that you look at the Utah Jazz. Now, granted, the Magic didn't stumble into Rodney Hood, but they had a bunch of athletic, long, talented guys who could be good defensive players and be good rotation players, and they just cut that number in half, and now they have a half season of Serge Ibaka, and the hope that something comes of the Nikola Vucevic-Bismack-Biombo combo that I'm not entirely sure what, what's going to happen there. It's a really complicated situation, also because of how it affects Aaron Gordon. So they created this group of young guys, a, a fascinating group, and they did a really strange thing in terms of their choices. They got a lot of talented players. I mean, I like Oladipo, I like Aaron Gordon, I like Hazonia, of course. But they, they're, they're basically three archetypes to me of really valuable NBA players. And this is as true in the modern NBA as it was before, which is a primary ball handler, so a capable guy who can run your offense, a go-to scorer, ideally in crunch time, but, you know, just a, a, a go-to scorer, and a rim protector. And all of the guys that they went after in that time, you know, well, I mean, I, that was their intent, I guess, with Alfred Payton. He's just not, in my opinion, not good enough. And maybe Hazonia, maybe Oladipo become that scorer, that facilitator. And they never really, I don't think, I mean, other than maybe the flyer on Deadman, they never really went after a rim protector in that rigid sense. But they had a lot of other good players. And amazingly enough, they got that rim protector in free agency this year. But now Aaron two of Gordon. Them. Yeah, two of them. Now, in Aaron Gordon, who is pro- I would say is probably the, mo- the most talented of that cabal of young guys, they now are going to have to play him out of position, which is insane. Yeah. And, and one of the, I was actually pretty critical of what the Magic did when they drafted Aaron Gordon, who I now like, I've come around on. I don't necessarily see him as being the high upside type, but when they drafted Oladipo, when they drafted Harkless, when they drafted Gordon for sure, they went for really high-energy, defensive-minded players, and um, I'm sorry, they didn't draft Harkless. They traded for him. Some Magic fan will call me out on that. Yeah. Um, but... They went for really hot. They, they they were clearly targeting a lot of really high energy, really athletic guys to play a great defensive scheme that would actually have worked around Nikola Vucevic. If you look at what say the Charlotte Hornets have done the past few years without a traditional rim protector to anchor them, they built their defense around very aggressive perimeter defense. Alfred Payton's another one. The Magic had the potential a year ago, a uh, little more than a year ago now. 13 months ago, to run out a lineup of Alfred Payton, Victor Oladipo, Mo Harkless, and Aaron Gordon next to Vucevic. That could have been a really good defense without a center who's a rim protector in any way. They brought in Scott Skiles to coach them and, and probably you know aid that sort of development. And now 
they brought in two shot blockers. They're going to play Gordon out of position, like you said. I, I think most people think that he is a power forward. That they got rid of Oladipo. They let their backcourt defense and their backcourt in general is, is now kind of a mess. They, they brought in veterans who, I mean, really, you're, you're trying to convince me that you need both CJ Watson and DJ Augustin? <laughs> the roster just doesn't make sense right now. And it's, uh, it's, it's kind of hard because I was really starting to buy in, um, early last season on the future of the Orlando Magic and the Harris trade. I thought it was a reach to imagine that they would use their cap space wisely and signing Jeff Green solidified that. So I look at what they're, what they've done and what I see is a front, is a front office without inside information here. I do not know the, the shot callers there, but I see a front office that has drastically decided to change, change direction after building something that was supposed to play out over the long term. That was supposed to be good in 2016-17. That's the season that's coming up. And they changed direction over the last year, maybe even a little less than a year, in a way that means that they may never get any payoff at all. And what's concerning to me about their future is that, to me, what they need the most in order to be a real like playoff team is they need someone who can run their offense. And while Alfred Payton made sense from a defensive perspective, you know he was going to have to develop a whole lot to get there. And while there are point guards, you know that that exist, there are they're available. You're not going to be able to get somebody who is. They got somebody. They got DJ Augustin. Isn't he perfect? <laughs> and but like you're, so you're not going to be able to get. You know, the point guard that will be the... You're not going to get the John Wall that you want. You're probably not going to get them through free agency, especially not at the right age. And you're not bad enough to get them in the draft. Those types of players don't fall outside of the top four, usually. They don't even usually fall outside of the top three. So you need to... You know, so so to get that guy, you know, that will really take them off the ground... And I understand why they took Aaron Gordon over Dante Exum. I'm higher than most people on Exum, but I understand that there were people with differences of opinion and all that kind of stuff. And Exum, you know, he's he's had his struggles, ACL-related and otherwise. But to get from where they are now to where they need to go, the idea of using cap space to do that was always misguided because there was one guy, and it was Mike Conley, and he wasn't going to Orlando. So it's a problem. Yeah. You know who they could have kept? Probably paid him $7 million a year. Brandon Jennings, he was on the roster already. You know, they could have kept him if they needed a playmaker for this year. If they really are trying to win this year, which seemed like the only logical solution to, the only logical rationale for the Serge Ibaka trade, if this year is what matters, you should have kept Brandon Jennings instead of going out and getting DJ Augustin. There's a much higher upside to Brandon Jennings. We saw him have success before his injury in 2014-15. I don't see much upside in a guy like DJ Augustin. He's an excellent backup. And since they have an offensive end at least, but that's it. He's Darren Collison without the defense. <laughs> and and what's so concerning about that is also that they could have just paid Jennings enough to keep him on board for one year. Maybe you give maybe you give him a team option or a player option on a second year depending on how much you're willing to give him because they had full bird rights. And it's not like, oh, my God, they had to clear all that space to do X because they ended up wasting a large portion of it. And, I mean, even just the money you're giving to DJ Augustine would have been a meaningful portion of that. So you do that and give him a one- or two-year contract. He got he signed for one-year, five million with the Knicks. So it's not like, oh, you had to offer him years because the Knicks didn't. And he's backing up there. He would have had more playing time. 
especially if he wants to make good. And so they kind of had this identity issue. And so to me, like, they're not good enough to be... Like, they, they have a high ceiling just because they have a lot of talent on their team. But I could see them losing some weird games. And that ties in with the other team that had a completely dumbfounding offseason, maybe for a more justifiable reason, and that's the Chicago Bulls. Hmm. Ah, uh, the Chicago Bulls. But they got more talent. They did. They also I mean, got a lot of guys who have overstated defensive reputations at this point in their career. They got bizarre. They're a bizarre team. Their best shooters are their power forwards. Their best shooters are their power forwards, and they might need their power forward who's not a good shooter to play because that's how they're going to stop people. Yeah. Todd Gibson, I expect, uh, is going to move to full-time center if he stays in Chicago. I love Robin Lopez. I thought the Derrick Rose trade was one great way to get off to a start in this offseason for them. I thought they clearly won the Derrick Rose trade. And then they went out and got Rondo. And I'm a person who believes if you can get Dwayne Wade, you get Dwayne Wade. So I'm not going to argue that. It just doesn't make any sense when you add Rondo into the picture then. you know. And I know they made the Rondo deal first. At the same time, like they should have never made the Rondo deal. That was never the right move. Jimmy Butler was going to go crazy with just Rondo. Now he's going to really go crazy with Rondo and Wade and his desire to be, as he framed it, as a point guard. He sees himself as a point guard. He said that last year. He doesn't want to share the ball, and he's your best player. And you got two guys who need the ball in their hands to be effective. And Fred Hoiberg, you didn't sign up for this, and... <laughs> If that offer was ever there to go coach Minnesota, you're probably really regretting not taking it. And what's so hard about what Chicago has done is not only are they players that want to have the ball in their hands, but for the most part, especially Rondo, is completely useless without without the ball in his hands. So yeah. I mean, he I, he did shoot 36%. He's adding. He Since he got to Dallas, he started to add a little bit of a three-pointer, and good for him. He needed to do that, but... I still can't imagine Rajon Rondo being a guy who is going to age well. And I would not be surprised if they don't pick up the second year of that partially guaranteed second year uh, on that deal. And that also means that it's really hard to trade him just because a team's not getting much surplus value. It's the same reason I was critical of the, of the Kings for doing is like, well, if it works out, you're going to, you, you know, then you, you get nothing out of it. And the Kings let him walk for nothing. So in some ways it's better that they didn't have a second year, but at that price, they could have given him something more like what the Bulls did, where at least you get some flexibility. And the Rondo deal, to me, has echoes of the Mozgov trade, and Mozgov signing, sorry, in the sense that if, for whatever reason, you thought that was the best thing on the table at that time, if they waited a couple days, it wouldn't have been gone. The point guard market, in terms of teams that had starting spots, had effectively dried up unless he was going to go to the Sixers or something. And I think the Sixers had either already signed Sergio Rodriguez or were on that, on that line. And Brooklyn had already, of course, signed Jeremy Lin. He didn't really have many options. And if your worst-case scenario is that Rondo goes somewhere else, big whoop. You know, like, then you, you figure something else out. And so, so they did that. They rushed that through. And then Wade becomes available and completely invalidates... You know, like the I, even the positive part. Like I saw some of the merit in Rondo just because he's a cap, he's a a capable ball handler, and basically it was Jimmy Butler and no one else before that because Jerry Grant's not ready. So I understood it from that and and Calderon, I guess I understood it from that perspective. But you have to that has to be your final move. That has to be the end of it. Yeah, I think 
what we've seen uh, with the Bulls, it is a team that once again has talent that doesn't make sense. And that was the case last year. And that was the case when they added Pau Gasol. And it's it's very interesting um, to try to figure out what the root cause is of the Bulls making some of these moves. Because you've got two people in the front office who everyone talks about having decision-making power, Gar Packs. And the assumption is always that they're on the same page. Then you've got Jerry Reinsdorf, a laissez-faire doesn't really care what happens to his basketball team because he's a baseball guy owner who mostly wants his team to be cheap. And they went out and, and did made moves that don't really quite mesh with any of this. And in a lot of cases, it's, it's, it almost seemed like the Rondo signing in particular was a PR move to say, Hey, we traded Derek Rose, but don't worry. But who was worrying? Derrick Rose hasn't been good in four years. I mean, was there was there really a need to make up to the fan base that was worried about the, the Bulls without Derrick Rose? Could anyone have been worried about the Bulls without Derrick Rose? I think that the bloom had come off that at that point, and there wasn't a sense of urgency. And especially, I had talked before about the idea of that it was an important season for evaluation of various members of the Bulls, Miritich, McDermott, and so some of those guys theoretically benefited from getting Rondo. However, the most important player in terms of determining their future is Jimmy Butler. And now you are not only limiting yourself in terms of valuation, but you're also alienating him. And that's a big, big, big problem. Yeah. And on top of that, you're cutting into your young guys playing time even more. I mean, if you want Denzel Valentine, if you want Doug McDermott, if you want Bobby Portis to see the court... You've only crowded the market more. Uh, Todd Gibson probably would be a good trade trade move um, once they realize that they might not be a playoff team. Or they might be a playoff team. I don't know. I really can't say for sure whether the Chicago Bulls are a playoff team because the Eastern Conference is crazy this year and everyone expects to be a playoff team. And, and when you count the numbers and you look at it and you say 13 out of 15 teams have reasonable expectations to win – at least 40, 45 games, it's it's kind of a mess. Okay, so let's use this as an opportunity to go through it. So for me, Tier 1, so how I do tiers is basically where, and of course there are a lot of moves left to make, is where that is, I would be surprised if a team ended up outside of that grouping, but the group can be in any order, barring catastrophic injury or substantial change. So for me, Tier 1 is just Cleveland. I'm adding the, the Celtics. Okay. Because as my man, uh, Sean Devaney, reported today, Everyone still thinks they're going to make a trade. And so maybe today the roster that they're bringing out on the court isn't quite on the level of the Cavaliers. It certainly isn't on the level of the Cavaliers. Uh, I fully expect at least 50 wins out of the Celtics with what they have right now. I probably expect more like 55 wins. And if they can make a trade and given all their assets, they can definitely make a trade of some kind. I think that they can ratchet themselves up to being genuinely on the level of the Cavaliers. That's certainly fair. I, I was thinking about it more in terms of the present, but you're right that the, especially considering they have all these future assets, that giving up even some future assets likely makes them better in the present. And also, Cleveland at this point, if we're talking about, and, and, and this is kind of a combination of regular season success and team quality, it's a little bit nebulous, but it's July, we should be nebulous, is that I don't think Cleveland's going to push too hard in the regular season because they know they can beat everyone out east. 
So yeah, I think that there's a very the number one seed is not at all locked into being the Cavs, just as it wasn't two years ago. Just as LeBron's Heat lost the number one seed to the Pacers that one year, you know, LeBron individually and the Cavaliers as a team recognize what's most important for a team like that in the Eastern Conference in particular. And they're not going to – I mean, they held on. They almost blew the number one seed. The the Raptors came close, but they held on last year. I don't necessarily think, especially coming off a championship season, it it will be very interesting to watch what the Cavaliers put into the regular season. Yeah, I I definitely agree with you. So so Tier 1, we have that little disagreement. But for me, Tier 2 – so I have Boston in there. That's that's a disagreement. Then the other teams I have there are Toronto and Charlotte. Mm. Charlotte and, is interesting because a lot of guys had best their best seasons of their careers last year. But they didn't have Michael Kidd Gilchrist, who I think they is did a, not. A, a, I mean, granted, you could say that there's a, a reasonable chance they won't have him much again. That's just mm. you know that could that could be. But and also they lost guys. You know they lost Al Jefferson. They lost Jeremy Lin. And I think the Lin loss is going to be important for them because he played such a big role in terms of offensive creation, but I think they could have a really good defense, and they're reasonably deep one through four. Sessions, I think, helps them a lot, and while I don't think Clifford trusts Jeremy Lamb, they added Marco Bellinelli, you know, I think that they'll be able to piece it together enough to make it work even without Courtney Lee. And I guess, I guess maybe, so would you just have the Raptors kind of separated from that? Or how? Or w- you could even throw the Wizards into that group or maybe even some other teams. Yeah, I actually think the Pistons are going, like, are almost assuredly going to be good. It's really hard for me to imagine the Pistons not being good. Yeah, as long as, um, Reggie, as, long as Reggie and Drummond stay healthy. I mean, Even if Drummond doesn't, man. Aaron Baines, little secret. In the second half, Drummond's performance took a dive, and Aaron Baines' performance rose way up. And I think for the second half of the season, Aaron Baines was pretty much just as good as Andre Drummond. Wow. Um, In the first half, Baines was awful um, and was widely criticized for the signing, which was, was a kind of steep move for a guy who hadn't really earned it. But Aaron Baines is a very smart player who can do more, uh, more things (laughs) than Andre Drummond. Uh, he doesn't have the impact in the most obvious ways that Drummond does, but I think the Pistons are in a position where they have just added all the right players, just absolutely masterfully surrounded Andre Drummond and Reggie Jackson, who you're right, they can't afford to lose Drum- Jackson because they don't really have anywhere near the insurance they had with, uh, with Brandon Jennings. The, you know, Ish Smith is a solid backup. You do not want Ish Smith starting on a playoff team. But they now have Tobias Harris, who was tremendous for them in the second half. They added John Lohr, who can be that Ryan Anderson-type role. They have Stanley Johnson, who I expect to take a big step up and take the starting job from Marcus Morris. So they've got a really nice four-forward position thing. they got Baines and Boban behind Drummond. Cantavius Caldwell Pope, if he ever takes a step forward, this is the year. Um, and he's, he's an amazing defender. He just, his offense has been all over the place. If, if Reggie Jackson stays healthy, I, it's really hard for me to imagine the Pistons not being really good. I think their big issue, and I've been focused on this for a long time, is shot creation. I think that the rest of it makes sense. You know, they have they run a pick and roll every play, right? Yeah, they run they run a pick crazy. and roll with basically the same two guys every play. <laughs> and, and so it's, it's insane. It, it's it's unlike literally any other team. And yet, when you have an athlete on the level of Jackson who can create, and an athlete on the level of Drummond 
you almost, I mean, we certainly, when Blake Griffin is out, we see the Clippers run the Chris Paul, DeAndre Jordan pick and roll constantly. And it's, it's a thing of beauty. And, uh, you wish you, they did have more diversity. And that's why I love Tobias Harris on that role. In that, in the starting power forward for a team with Andre Drummond role, Tobias Harris is perfect. And he was, he took a huge step forward after that trade. The most efficient production he's ever had. And he's a guy who can create his own shot. He can't really create for others, but he can create his own shot. He's, he's always been kind of a, a poor man's Carmelo Anthony type player. And he doesn't bring the ego of, I should be the best player on the court at all times that Carmelo has. So Harris to me is a game changer and having him for a full season could be a really good thing for the Pistons. The other game changer, you alluded to both guys, but I think what functionally changes them if they can pull it off is Contavious Caldwell Pope is a really good defender, and what I like about him is he can defend ones and twos. I I think he last year did the best job on Stephen Curry of any guy in a single game, that game that they played. I think it was a good job on Russell Westbrook and Damian Lillard, too. As well, yeah, and so, so and Reggie's not the greatest defender in the world, so you can bounce him, and but he's big enough that you can credibly bounce him to either guy. So that that's there. If Stanley Johnson can do the same thing for the three and the four, or even maybe dance at the two a little bit if it's the depend if it's one of those strong twos, then what that gives them is the defensive ability to make life hard on all the players that are devastating. And that gives their defense a malleability, which in a good way, that I think can make them really dangerous. And while Stanley is not the offensive player that, that Marcus Morris is, that trade-off I think is justifiable if Harris takes a step forward and KCP takes a step forward. And if Stanley could be, you know, competent, let's say, on that end. And so what I think that does is it functionally raises their ceiling. I still don't put them in that, in that same group to me because I think Toronto has proven it, Boston has proven it more you know, like, I mean, Toronto has proven it more than Boston, but the Celtics have proven it more than Detroit has. And why for Charlotte, for me, is that I think they're a little bit more versatile just in terms of, like, I think guys like Batum and Kemba, like, I think they can do a little bit more out there. But I see your optimism with the with the Pistons, and I do think they're a likely playoff team. Yeah, I think um, I'm willing to put the Hornets there because, as I've said um, repeatedly, I think Michael Kidd-Gilchrist is actually their best player. And... He's, his presence is going to be huge. Shoulder injuries are not usual, usually, and I don't want to say it with a guy like him because he gets hurt all the time, but they're not usually that foreboding for the future. So MKG should be able to play this season. Let's put it that way. And when he's playing, the seven games that he played were some of the best basketball the Hornets played last season. They won 48 games. They, they found sort of one-for-one one replacements. They got, you know, Ramon Sessions to replace Jeremy Lin. And, and Sessions does some of the same things Lin does at a much cheaper level. They got Marco Bellinelli, a guy they, they desperately wanted last offseason, to replace Courtney Lee. And Bellinelli is actually a more versatile offensive player than Courtney Lee, even though he's not as good def- defensively and can maybe try to do too much sometimes. And then they got Roy Hibbert to replace Al Jefferson. And in my opinion, that's actually a better fit for what they need and what they ask of the center position. It just doesn't give them the, the differentiation that Al, uh, that Al offered with his post game. But I'm, I'm fine with, I'm certainly fine with a declaration that the Hornets are probably one of the five best teams in the East. 
Okay, so so we have that as kind of the group, and and some would probably put Washington there. I just think they're an an injury of any sort, let's say 10, 15 games to either Wall or Beal with their history would just move them below. So I put them... Or Marquis Morris. Yeah. Marquis Morris, they're relying on a guy who I would not want to rely on. Yeah, because, I mean, they would need Oubre or Nicholson probably to step up because I don't think they're going to go twin by two big centers. Like, that just doesn't... That wouldn't work. Yeah. So yeah, okay. I think so, the, so the there, Wizards are scary. But, yeah. But what what's remarkable to me is, and while you could differentiate this a little bit, I have all but the bottom two teams in the East in this next group. So for I me, agree. that's the agree. Wizards, the Hawks, the Pistons, and you have the Pistons in the group above. That's fair. The Knicks, the Pacers, the Bucks, the Heat, the Bulls, and the Magic, all in the same general morass. And while there are teams that I think are meaningfully better in that group, you know, if Miami finished with, with the five seed, I wouldn't be completely shocked. Like, it's just, those teams are all pretty well balanced. You know who I like six after my top five? It's the Milwaukee Bucks. I, actually, I'm sorry. I've only put four teams in the first tier. Uh, we both only put four teams in the first tier. So I uh, I think the Milwaukee Bucks um, may, make a major rebound this season. That they just everything about last season just seemed like the old sophomore slump, and the identity of Giannis as the lead ball handler was very important for them. I'm not crazy about what they did this off season, but I don't think it matters when you have that much young talent. Because one of the things I dug up was that their offense went, and this was in the Sporting News offseason preview, their offense was strong when Giannis was on the floor after the All-Star break when they really made the transition. They did a good job. Their defense was terrible. But <laughs> that is, by virtue, kind of a personnel issue. And I think going to Henson, maybe even going to, to Plumlee if they keep him, that direction can help resolve a lot of those issues. And they got a point guard now in Del Vidova, who makes a lot of sense with that paradigm. And so, well, there there is a big risk, I mean, running the offense through Giannis. They were substantially better that way last year, and they I think they did a, a reasonable job, not a perfect job for sure, but a reasonable job of working within that. And I could see, especially, like, I think Jason Kidd did a very good job with them his first year, of kind of now that they've had an offseason to think about it after they tooled with it for the second half of the year, to gay okay, how are we going to run with this? And that they could be able to figure that out. And what I like about them, maybe more than anything, is that in a regular season format where you see a team a couple times a year, is that they're so different from a lot of teams that I think they'll catch opponents off guard. We also might see the emergence of Jabari Parker, who is a very talented scorer. And we might see him taking major strides. I expect it, to be honest. So I think that one of the things hampering Parker was the notion that he was playing this crowded forward position and that the roles were so unclear. But you look at Parker, he has the ability in the second half, he averaged 19 points a game. And if he can shoot 50% and average 19 points a game and just push his range back out to the three-point line, because he's close, he could be a difference maker and the idea of Giannis and Parker has always been scary but now we might see Giannis putting up the craziest stat line this side of Russell Westbrook and Jabari being the scorer that he looks to as his first option and that's something you know and then and that that allows Chris Middleton to play the role that's best suited for him which is the guy who is the world's best Clay Thompson imitation <laughs> and and you know serves as a 
the ultimate three and D specialist. And that's, that's a, I just really like what they've built. Um, I think John Hammond and to a lesser degree, Jason Kidd deserve a lot of credit for the, for the front office decisions they've made with that team. So I, I think that what is Greg Monroe accepted. Yeah. Greg Monroe accepted. And I understand why they did that. I mean, it, yes, it ended uh, up not working as well. And so I think that the Knicks are a compelling team in this group because I think some will have them higher, and they're certainly a lot better than they were last year. But they're top-heavy. I think they have. I think there will be more issues with the Rose Mellow pairing than something, just because they're both used to the ball in their hands. And I, I hope that it works. You know, I, I always root for every team to succeed, and I think that they're probably in the top half of this tier, but they still. Have there isn't really a separation. What I was wondering for you is, do you think that it's fair to include teams like Chicago and Orlando in this group? Or are they a little bit below? They think they're in that group. That's true. They definitely think they're in that group. I think the Bulls are better than the Knicks. Um, Interesting. But that's large. That's largely because of my cynicism to the idea that Derrick Rose exists. You know, first of all, let's let's establish something. We call him MVP Derrick Rose every time we talk about him. Former MVP. He was never the most valuable player in the league. A narrative drove a poor, one of the worst votes in NBA award history to give him an MVP he didn't deserve that now he has to carry around as a burden almost because in all of these stories about how he fails to live up to his MVP levels, it's like he should have never been MVP. And we'd we'd be talking a little differently if it was Derrick Rose failing to live up to his all-star levels, you know? Um, Mo Williams was an all-star. <laughs> it's, it's not that unusual. was an all-star. Sure. So, so first, the, the concept of Derrick Rose getting back to being an MVP, that doesn't exist. There was never an MVP Derrick Rose. We gave him the award for very wrong reasons. Second, he can't stay healthy. And the bottom line is, even if he does stay healthy, we are seeing a completely different player. Derrick Rose doesn't dunk anymore. I mean, this is a very changed player who played well in stretches while still missing a lot of games in the second half of last season. I think that that was a good step for him and probably gave the Knicks a lot of confidence that he could get back to being an 18-point, 19-point-a-game guy who did it with a little bit of efficiency. But, you know, you're still relying on Derrick Rose, and that's something that Tom Thibodeau, never let his team do and that very wise on his part and I just look at this team and I say they let Langston Galloway go which I thought was a horrible decision they let Jerry and Jaron Grant go in the trade they're they're now relying on on two point guards who have had pretty devastating injuries and on top of that they're pushing Kristaps Porzingis to a position especially with uh apparently Billy Hernan Gomez even though it's spelled Willie, and adding and, and Kyle O'Quinn, Chris Porzingis is going to be playing power forward a whole lot next season. Um, Lance Thomas is going to be playing small forward. They're they're shifting. They're they're a huge lineup. If you look at their roster, it's enormous. So you're going to put even more pressure on Derrick Rose and and then on, on top of that, Carmelo Anthony to create the offense here. I see a team that is going to struggle quite a bit. Unless Derrick Rose, Joakim Noah, and other players are uh, are very healthy, and they're not normally. Yeah, the Noah signing it bothered me not so much for the the money per year, but the number of years. Because 
this is also part of the reason why I liked having having Robin Lopez on that team is that he wasn't so good that he was blocking Porzingis from being a center, which I think both of us feel is his inevitability is his, as his best role. You know that he because he yeah. he's just special as a center. He's more conventional as a power forward. It's the same issue with Myers Leonard, and so yeah. but Porzingis is a whole ton better. And yeah. so you have that, and now you have a player in Noah who. Who is their best passer, by the way? For sure. He's their best, he's their best passer. He's a very talented guy. He might guy. be the one to make those plays that I was just talking about. He might be the guy who gets their off. He Noah fits this team a whole lot better than he fit last year's Bulls team. For sure. And, and so you have Noah, who right now is, is a very good player, and eventually will be both a famous and a popular player, even when he takes steps down in terms of athleticism, who you're paying a ton of money to. So my concern is that they won't make that switch when they should, which, you know, I don't know if it's at the deadline. I don't know if it's next season or if it's, you know, later than that, just depending on when Porzingis is physically ready to do it. But when you're paying Noah as much as you are and his prominence within everything, it feels like it will delay that. And to me, their ceiling long-term is entirely Porzingis. Without a doubt, looking at their roster, it's... One young player who and, yeah, has and uh, the world with of like letting God, Galloway, letting Galloway go. They with the what he ended up signing for, they could have kept him with early bird rights. Like it, it isn't, it's ridiculous considering, especially considering his cap hold was so low, that you have to make that decision. And I would say that's true even if you're keeping, if you if you're bringing in Rose and Brandon Jennings, because both those guys could be gone in a year. And Galloway's also, I think he can work as an off guard. I don't think he's a, a pure one in that sense. And now you're on the precipice because you not only have, you know, these guys who are injury prone and, and, and haven't even been the same since they came back, even if, as you said, Derek Rose's MVP level was overstating it, he's still not at the level he was at. And so you have that. And both those guys are unrestricted free agents after this year. And you have so much money spent at the other positions that if they leave, are you going to conv- unless you can convince Russell Westbrook or Stephen Curry, which they can't, to go there? Then you're going to be downgrading as everybody else, but Porzingis is getting older and worse. Yep. One team we didn't talk about, and I don't really have a whole lot to say other than I'm excited to watch them, is the Indiana Pacers. I think they're going to be worse than people think. I and think they're going to be worse than people think too. I just think they're going to be fun while bad. <laughs> yeah, because they'll. I mean, the fact that they wanted to go more up-tempo and then hired Nate McMillan as their coach and then signed Al Jefferson. You know, there are constructs of this team that can that can work as a up-court, up-tempo system. However, there's also the lingering issue that is, do they have the confidence to play C.J. Miles as they're starting two when they're almost definitely going to play Monte there, which is a huge mistake. Larry Bird just has an ego. <laughs> that's that's the only way to look at all of this. I mean, this three-year, a coach should never coach a team for more than three years. The reason that you think that, Larry, is because you coached a team for three years. The whole notion of we're going to play up-tempo and then sign Al Jefferson, it's Larry Bird's ego is fantastic, and it, it never ends, and it is, uh, he's so much more, I guess because he's the, pre- the president instead of the owner, He's, it's so much larger than Michael Jordan's is in, in post in post uh, post playing days current career pass and it's it's spectacular. It's every time he speaks, you just know he's going to throw shade in twenty five different directions. And um, this roster is a product of a very egotistical 
president who also happens to be a basketball genius. And so we'll see. What It'll you, be fun. It'll be really fun. <laughs> what do you think about Miami? I'm very dubious of I, – I don't criticize necessarily what they did in terms of the reaction to Wade and like that they had to do something there. But I think that their roster is so Dragic-dependent now that it's a little bit crazy. I tweeted that there's a very strong likelihood that they're going to end up starting Josh Richardson and James Johnson. That's not – a playoff team doing that just seems really hard for me to imagine unless you've got clear-cut all-stars. And they don't have a am – I, am I mistaken? I don't believe they have a single former all-star on their roster because Dragic got snubbed that the one year he kind of deserved it. Well, ba- Bosch uh, is if you consider – Oh, right, right. I'm not – if Chris Bosch is healthy, they're going to be a playoff team because Chris Bosch is awesome. He doesn't quite play perfectly with Hassan Whiteside. But it, the difference there is not as extreme as Dragic and Wade. So if Chris Bosh is healthy and Chris Bosh is able to be on the court, I expect them to be a playoff team. I look at their roster without Bosh, where you you are, again, talking James Johnson or Josh McRoberts starting at power four. I like the Derek Williams signing because why not? Um, Luke Babbitt is a good addition because why not? But Richardson is almost certainly going to be the starting shooting guard because you'd rather have Tyler Johnson backing up both guard positions. And Winslow is going to be asked to to do offensive things for the first time in his career. It's a fascinating team. They could make the playoffs. They could win 27 games. A lot of that depends on Bosch, and a lot of that depends on Dragic and Whiteside and how effectively they can play together because they're going to have to run a lot of pick and rolls together and – I'm not sure Whiteside is that kind of player. I don't he he doesn't have the basketball IQ to be a great pick and roll player in my opinion. Especially cuz he has no assists basically for his entire yeah. career. I mean, I think he had I think he had one season where he had double digit assists before this past year. And yep. that's a concern. And some of that of course was that he didn't play a ton when he was in sack, but it's still it's still something to deal with and they're incredibly top heavy. A lot of those guys have injury concerns maybe even stronger than concerns in the case of Bosch. And I can see, again, like like you said, I can see paths that this team is good. They All, all those paths require Chris Bosch, but they, I can see paths that they're good. But if he plays, let's say, 30 or fewer games in this season, they, they could be in the bottom, close to the bottom tier of the East, and that ties in because the bottom tier of the East to me, while it's still the same two teams, it's still Brooklyn and Philly to me, both of them got substantially better. Ooh, substantially for the... For the Sixers, huh? Well, yeah. I mean, they added they added Sergio Rodriguez. They added Gerald Henderson. Let's look. Everyone wants to be optimistic about European players. Sergio Rodriguez has been in the NBA. Let's not let's not act like Sergio Rodriguez is a good starting point guard. He's better than what they had. He's still the worst starting point guard in the NBA. I'll have to think about it. I, I think there might be one or two worse, but 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 anyway. But even if, <laughs> even with that case, he's still substantially better than the guys that they played last year, and most of the guys they played last year, they still have. I think I think he's a lot better than Ish Smith personally. I think sure, he's sure. he might he might be better than Ish Smith. And, um, and Hender- Henderson's a nice he's guy. He's old to now, add. by the way. And depending yeah. on what they their front court is, if they're even close to healthy, their front court is substantially better. I mean, Ben. Simmons is a, is a completely different guy than they had. Saric was just the most valuable player of the Olympic qualifying tournament. He's coming over. Their center position, we'll have to see who's healthy and who plays, but you know, at least it's deeper if, if MB can play at all. And they still have guys like Robert Covington, who I think is good. McConnell. Love their front. 
Yeah, so I their front court. They're, I just they're better. Their I, that doesn't mean they're good. They're still to me. They're still yeah. the the worst, probably the worst That's team fair. in the East. And then That's Brooklyn fair. is a strange team. Like I, I think that for sure. And I don't love everything that they did, but. Jeremy Lin is is capable. I think that he will help keep their offense float as long as they have Brook Lopez. I think they'll be able to score, and their defense will be shaky. But you know they're they're not. I don't think they're horrendous. And so they have so many open roster spots. Well, they just <laughs> used a, they just used a bunch of them today on guys that aren't good. So that's a little bit okay. Different. I might have missed that. They yeah, signed been, they signed Anthony Bennett. They signed Joe Harris. They signed Luis Scola. Um, so, all right. Yeah, I mean, they got some dudes like in that in that sense, but not. I love I love Rondé Hollis Jefferson. So do I. Um, I I didn't like him as much in the draft, but I came around on him last year. I think Trevor Booker was an and and Jeremy Lin were both economic, smart, savvy signings. They're not going to be good. (laughs) And that's fine. But they might win 25, 30 games. And that's fine, too. The bottom line is they have no. They have nothing to gain by tanking, so they might as well try to be kind of good as long as they don't do anything to harm their future. And that's what they did, and that, that I really like what Sean Marks has done with this franchise so far. And I'm almost, in some ways, I think that the Brooklyn Nets are better off now than they were at any moment after the Kevin Garnett trade. Because that was, at the very moment it happened, we all knew that that was going to destroy this franchise. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And when, you know, I wrote a piece when they fired Billy King about the idea of what they needed to do. And a lot of it was about no bad contracts and asset management. And I think they did a nice job of that overall. I think they gave a little bit too much money to guys like Booker and they paid Scola 5.5 million for one year, but 5.5 million. I think they just could have gone more high upside, somebody like, even like Terrence Jones or whoever, basically because they had an argument that almost nobody else did, which is we have a, we have a ton of playing time. You know, like you will, and if you want to sign a one-year deal, like a make good, Brooklyn, if you were a forward, was probably your best spot. And so, I don't think they played the market that way. And they got a lot of solid vets. They also signed Randy Foy today, and so they got guys, but they it doesn't really fit in that way. And I understand, you know, not wanting to take on bad money and all that kind of stuff. That's fine. But I thought they overall they did a very good job, though. But we, you know, we spent about an hour on the East. We should talk a little bit about the West. Uh, so to me, it starts with tier one. Tier one is just the Golden State Warriors. Who? <laughs> Why? No, I'm kidding. Uh, yeah, no, tier one's the Warriors. It's not even fun. I don't want to talk about them. We don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's talking about. I, I, ta- I talked about them enough. In no- I talked about them enough in November, so we can we can we can leave it at that. Uh, so so yeah. then, okay, so I'm gonna instead of kind of anchoring the conversation, in my opinion. Tier two in the West is one of the more convoluted things, and there are some personal choices in here. Who would you include in this group? You know, you start with the San Antonio Spurs. You got to bottom line, they're in there. I don't know exactly what the Clippers' plans are. I think they would be crazy to trade Blake Griffin. I expect them to be possibly the third best team in the West. I think the Memphis Grizzlies could be in that upper tier. I really like them if they're healthy. They have basically a grenade of a a roster (laughs) in terms of injury possibilities. And then the other team, and I I know we both love them, we're probably two of the most positive media members toward them, is the Utah Jazz. That, to me, is the the second tier. The Spurs, the Clippers, the Grizzlies, and the Jazz. So mine is the same, except that I have Memphis a tier below. 
And the reason for that is just that I think their team isn't as resilient for injury because they have a lot of special guys, but they're, they all have pasts, you know. A lot of them have injury presence, not even injury the worst, The worst, most injury-prone team in the NBA without a doubt right now. But if they stay healthy, this is – Chandler Parsons is the guy they were missing three years ago. He's exactly what that team needed. And I'm not even a huge Chandler Parsons fan, but that is that kind of player makes so much sense with the rest of their roster that I just love that. And uh, I really liked their hire of David Fisdale, and I think Marc Gasol has at least one more great season, even though he did miss the whole year, or most of the year. So I, I, I'm going to be a little more optimistic about the Grizzlies than some people, and I get that, but... I'm much more nervous about, say, the Portland Trailblazers than I am about the Grizzlies if they stay healthy. Memphis has this also this challenge where they don't have backups that for the guys that are injury prone that are nearly as good as the starters at any of those spots. You know, they they, they just don't have those guys, and so for me that again kind of it, it lines up for me like the Wizards, where the sense of if Man, you they got they got future Hall of Famer Vince Carter coming off their bench, <laughs> they do. They, their bench is their bench is a problem. Actually, you're right. They, they um, have interesting players, but they don't have guys who can really step into those roles. I like a lot of the value plays they made on guys like Troy Daniels, Deontay Davis. I thought was a a, a nice bet long term. He's a, t- a very talented guy who shouldn't have fallen as far as he did. But Wade Baldwin and Deontay Davis were great draft picks. Yeah, they had they had one of the best drafts great drafts. And so, and and I thought James Ennis is compelling. You know, I, I think he's more of like the 11th or 12th guy on the team. But you know, you never know if he can work out. He's so athletic. And so they they made kind of those those sorts of moves. But yeah, they don't have they don't have those players. But if they can, basically, to me, they should have twin goals. One goal is, of course, trying to make the playoffs. That 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 obviously because otherwise the second step doesn't matter. And the second step is, as long as you're in and you're not the eight seed. Just rest, rest all of your guys as much as you can to make sure that you're ready for the playoffs. Because it's it's a great year to be a seven seed in the West. Yeah, because I think the Spurs are meaningfully worse than they were last year. That doesn't mean they're they're you know bad. That doesn't mean they're they're anything but the second best team in the West. But they are a, to me their defense is going to fall substantially without Tim Duncan, Ooh. and their offense is that's some RPM preaching right there, huh? Well, it's some RPM preaching, but also the fact that he was, you know, now the only two guys that I would consider unambiguous plus defenders in their starting lineup are their two and their three. And while Charlotte has kind of pulled that out sometimes, that's a hard thing to do, especially when both of their big men have similar limitations. Yeah, I like, I I think that they're going to almost have to play small ball with LaMarcus at four. At a five, I'm sorry. Play, do, do, play they small the, ball. do they have the wings now? I mean, I don't think they have the wings. Kyle Anderson that. can definitely play four. Can, I, I'm not even sure Kyle, I, I, and this is brewing on brewing violence, but I'm not even Ooh. sure he can play. Oh, 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 oh. oh man. Like he's, I'm not that sure is... he's more than a 10 to 15 minute a game guy in the league at this point. And that's, you know, that 10 to 15 minutes is still useful, but I don't see him necessarily. Well, so then you slide Ginobili and Green and Kawhi. Sure, then, then you can do that for small stretches, but I don't want to play Manu in the regular season more than 25, 28. $14 million Manu? 
I'm so happy <laughs> they did that. By the way, I'm just really happy just to make to make him whole, and because the money it, it was it was kind of monopoly money in that sense to them because they'd already spent all their cap space, and also like Dwayne, Dwayne Dedman, I think was a really, 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 really good use of the room exception. Agreed. Um, I, th- I think, I he, think that he and Dwayne, Zaza are the two best uses of the room exception so far. I think Dwayne Dedman might have been a better fit on the Warriors than Pachulia, and in some ways, um, in terms of being a good rim protector and being a high upside guy. And I think he's going to pay off. I, I think Popovich will make it work. That's that's the ultimate... Uh, it's a big test. Because Popovich yeah. hasn't developed a center in a long time. I mean, Splitter, I guess they, they made Splitter a lot better. Mauricio like Alberto? Yeah, I, I don't think that necessarily helps in terms of defensive... <laughs> But, but yeah, what is so, Roberto these days, man? I think uh, actually, you're right. He was actually mentioned in, in Jason, uh, Jason Concepcion's awesome piece about Tim Duncan's clothing. I don't know if anybody saw it on The Ringer, but he was I, there was a Fabrizio Roberto mention. I'm like, oh, God, I'd totally forgotten about him. I was very excited. <laughs> but, yeah, you're right. You're right. This is a huge test, and it's the huge test that Greg Popovich always knew he had coming. Yeah. One unless, day. Unless, unless he Tim retired Duncan. when Tim Duncan did. One day Tim Duncan was going to walk away, and it was probably going to be before Greg Popovich did. And that meant that Greg Popovich has been preparing for at least 10 years for the day where he would have to coach a team that Tim Duncan was not on the active roster. And, you know, cheers to Tim Duncan. Absolutely. I mean, what an incredible career. And so, okay, so you have four teams in in your second tier. I have three. So, of course, the Grizzlies are the top team in my tier three. But I only have one other team there. And that's Portland. Yeah, I agree. Like I, I only mentioned Portland when I when I said um, I think Houston could be in that that tier that they took. They might have gone even more injury prone than the Grizzlies uh, with Brian Anderson and Eric Gordon. But I think the Rockets have a very puzzling roster and a coach who I have never been as convinced as everyone else seems to be about it. Him. And a situation where an injury or two could really affect them, particularly a point guard. Yeah, they're they're really shallow. I mean, they just signed Pablo Prigioni, who's basically their second point guard, and he didn't really get on the floor that much on the Clippers. <laughs> behind, I mean, granted, he was playing behind the coach's side, but still. And it's also worth noting, so Harden can run the offense, and obviously that's great with Beverly. Like Harden and Beverly are a perfect match. Who runs the offense on the second unit? Who runs the offense when James Harden's not on the court? Can you imagine how devastating a three-week James Harden absence would be on this Rockets team? They're one of the five worst teams in the league without Harden. Yeah, it's the pressure on James and, Harden and think right about, now and think about while has never been bigger. While he's a horrible defender, there aren't many other good defenders on this team. I mean, you got Trevor, Clint Capella, Nene. Okay. And that's re and Beverly, and that's really about it. And so it's not like you're going to be able to stop people. Oh, you replaced James Harden with Eric Gordon. Okay. And you also have a coach whose defense is always, always. I know people love him. I don't care. His defenses are terrible all the time. Okay. So so while so while Mike D'Antoni can't scheme defense. You can't argue that he can. (laughs) And, And while we're in this tier, I think since we didn't talk about them in the opening. Portland's offseason is mystifying for a few reasons. I mean, they ended up kind of working some things out as long as they retain Harkless, because if they lose Harkless, then I have a whole other rant to do. But Evan Turner makes zero sense with this team. Hmm. Evan Turner 
is an okay player. But if Evan Turner doesn't make sense with this team, you're absolutely right. Because Harkless, Harkless should have just – they should have just punted on him, started Harkless, and played crap a lot more minutes. Yeah, and, and maybe you even – if you have – so if you have Lillard and McCollum at the guard spots – you could either you could go that route with Crab, or if you think he got paid too much money, which I think you could make a credible argument, then you don't need a lot in terms of a third and or fourth guy, depending on how you want to structure your team. You know, you can go more defensive. You can, and they had a ton of cap space. You know, you can do some things there. I also feel bad. They've got five big men, not including Aminu, who are good enough to play. Like, to, to, I mean, I don't want to say Vonley's good enough to play. I guess he hasn't proven that. But they're going to have to find m- minutes for My- Myers Leonard and Festus Azili and Ed Davis. And Mason Plumley, who started for them last well, year. I think, well, I think Mason will start. That's that's kind of what I'm hinting at. Aminu and Plumley seem like the likely power forward center starting duo. Uh, apparently, they promised Turner the starting small forward job when they, they signed him. I don't think Turner makes sense from a playing style perspective. I don't think Turner makes sense from a playing time perspective. And I don't think Turner makes sense from a where this team's headed in the future perspective. So, yeah, I don't get the Evan Turner signing. And yet I have a hard time really quibbling too much with the rest of the Blazers offseason because they did. I, I don't mind them keeping Alan Crabb at a higher than he deserved rate. They did a great job with Leonard getting him at. I think four four and forty one. Yeah, it was, and then and the Festus Azili contract. I don't. The Lakers must just be looking at that and going, "What did we do?" <laughs> and a lot of other teams too. Like for me, Brooklyn. If they're sitting there, especially if they're going to try to trade Brook Lopez, I mean, you could have gotten one of the best lottery tickets out there right now for no long term commitment. It would have, it wouldn't have violated their principles of no con- no bad contracts. And while Azili might have wanted to play on a competitive team, he's going to have to fight and claw for every minute. And when you take when you take a low contract in years and dollars, you probably want that playing time. There, I mean, Milwaukee could have used him. There are a million teams that could have taken a flyer on him. That would have made sense, you know, at that price. And it's incredible that he ended up there after, you know, a, a weird sequence with the Warriors basically letting, cutting him loose after July 4th and all that kind of stuff. But, yeah, t- and that's another example of why the Mozgov signing was so bad is that inevitably some players signed for below market and the Lakers have all the reason in the world to have that guy sign with them. And yeah. yet they signed a guy for above market. So even if it was a misevaluation issue, I think you could make an argument that unless the right guy came at that price, you know, like unless they got us on Whiteside or Horford or somebody like that, that they could have just said, nope, we're just going to we're just going to hold our ground with like one year, 10 million or two years, 20 million. And whoever the best guy who wants to come for our money is, we could do that. Instead, they signed Moscow for 464. Yep. I also think interesting twist on the Blazers is, in my opinion, Ed Davis is their best big man. I think you can make a credible argument of that. I mean, I, I would. I, the issue with him is that I don't trust him defensively. But in terms of a lot of other aspects of it, he's. he's Who do you trust defensively of that group? Azili, but he's his offense is rough. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that I trust him without Draymond Green. Yeah, well, I, maybe, we'll see. Maybe I that's think he, he did reasonably well. He did reasonably well without it. But it's but again, his injury stuff. He didn't look nearly as good after he came back after his knee injury than he did before that. So we'll have to see how that works. And that's part of the reason he only got you know two years, fourteen yeah, million. And for sure. so so we'll have to see with that. And you're right. I mean, and they didn't get anybody that was so good that 
it made it obvious that you should trade Mason Plumley, which is something that I kind of hoped that they would get, you know, Hassan Whiteside or Horford or just somebody that would invalid, that would make it so it would have been obvious, okay, trade Mason Plumley, get a small asset for him, maybe a late first round pick, kind of like what you gave up to get him, and resolve this issue because he's he's eligible to get paid next year, and they should not be the team that does that. Let's throw out a real dumb trade rumor here. Okay. What if they trade Mason Plumley Plumley and CJ McCollum for Jimmy Butler? Uh so I Who think, doesn't win in that? Well I, I think I think that CJ McCollum and Mason Plumley. Well poor poor CJ. I mean, but CJ could argue he could make the he could come to that with the case of, oh, it's a temporary situation because there's a very real chance that Wade and Rondo are both gone. So basically yeah. you you are you are the guard Highlander there. And eventually, all the crap that doesn't fit with you right. works its way the out. Bull, but if the Bulls make that trade, they're saying to CJ, "You're the one we're building around." But <laughs> Don't at the worry. Same, but at the same other. point, if he's the one you're building around and you're giving up that, then your long-term asset base is basically McCollum, Miritich, McDermott, yeah. and Plumley, Robin Lopez, and that's just a rough team. Like that's not very good. I mean, you include a first rounder or two from the Blazers there. I'm just, I'm just throwing stuff. Yeah, out. but but Jimmy Butler, there, Jimmy Butler wants the ball in his hands a lot more. But I think Lillard, especially if you I, run a stagger with those two guys, I think that could work. I, I love, I love Jimmy the idea of Jimmy Butler and Damian Lillard playing together. I think even personality wise, they're perfect to play together. Oh yeah, but, I mean you have you have they'd be yeah. I think it would absolutely work. Yeah. Anyway. Okay, Aside so, okay, from crazy so, hypotheticals, okay. and you probably have to include a lot more than I just suggested Certainly. from the Blazers' end. But there's definitely some trade potential here in the Blazers, and they have, you know, especially if they bring back Harkless, they'll essentially have 10 guys at least who could be rotation players. And almost all of them on reasonable contracts, except for Evan Turner, who they're not trading anyway. And Alan Crabb, but yeah. Yeah. So, so so they could yeah the, the, and they could definitely if they if they don't like him as much as you do they could trade Ed Davis for uh, for an asset probably not anything huge but something yeah you and uh, so the Blazers are are good they're probably a playoff team it's easy to imagine them taking a step down but even a it's step easy. down puts them in the playoffs considering yeah. that only a couple teams you know like the Jazz are really and maybe the Memphis are really the only teams that really rose above them the other teams that are to me so so I'll I'll list through my tier four. So my tier four is Dallas, and and this is my tentative order: Dallas, OKC, Houston, Minnesota, New Orleans, Phoenix. Dallas colon the Mavericks colon not as bad as you thought they were. <laughs> I agree with that. It, I, it I worked think out for them. I mean, they have to again another team where they have to stay healthy because their backups just aren't as good. But their starting five is intriguing. I like their starting five, and I know you of uh, Warriors World. And I say that not as a website, but as a – although as a website, too. You guys are very down on Harrison Barnes, but <laughs> the the, combina- the the front court of Harrison Barnes, Dirk Nowitzki, and Andrew Bogut, if healthy, is really – it makes sense. It it fits together nicely. It it works. Wesley Matthews is is probably going to have a really good year. He, he had his year off, a year to, you know, heal and – figure out a new team. I think he's probably going to have a big bounce back year or he's just done because that's sometimes can happen when you have an Achilles injury. Darren Williams is on a one year deal. They didn't take a big risk with him. I like what they have. It's very, very short term. I look at their future and their future is Harrison Barnes and that's scary. And 
they're in a very bizarre position. They've been in a holding pattern for years now, since the championship team, really. But even the championship team was a very old championship team. They've just, they're in a holding pattern. They want to be as good as possible as while Dirk is still there because that's just what they do. That's, that's the Dallas Maverick way. And they blow every draft, so they can't rebuild through that. And it, it's, it's interesting, but they'll, they look like a playoff team to me. They do. I like Justin Anderson. I think that could be a break to their, to their draft maladies. But my issue with Barnes on this team, and offensively I think it'll work because Barnes, I think his best role is as a power forward just because he's, he's like a, he's best as your fourth, let's say your fourth offensive option. But when you're playing Dirk Nowitzki, he, he gets to that spot anyway because Dirk is going to be higher in the pecking order, as he always should be. I think that Barnes is better defending fours than threes because I think he's more strong than agile, and so I think that actually fits him better. He's done a nice job in various series guarding guys who are a little bit bigger than he is, and sometimes in space and those kind of guys he can have a little bit of trouble. But he's certainly a capable, talented player, and I think he'll work really hard, and I think Carlisle will coach him up to a degree and probably ask him to do more, and I don't know if that will help because he can't dribble, but at least they can try. (laughs) He's also a really good guy, by the way. Of course he is. Yeah, he, he's a very good guy. <laughs> and he works And he works hard, he just can't dribble. And so I, I think that Dallas will be able to work within that. Carlisle's an awesome coach, and he can fall into the right spot in the offensive pecking order by virtue of the guys they have, and that's a really good thing for him. And then eventually, either he becomes better, or you just slide him over when Dirk retires and you get a two or a three who's more capable. And both those things are possible, and you can even do both at the same time. And so you have that, and yeah, the center position is, I think, a perfect reflection of their issue, is that Andrew Bogut is a great fit for them when he's healthy. He's a, he can be a nice rim protector, he can be a, a, a solid offensive player, he doesn't make a ton of mistakes, and so you have him there. And then behind him, you have Powell, who's a, a strange fit. They just signed Quincy AC today, so they do all that kind of stuff. So they're paper thin, but they have a lot of talent, and they also have, in my opinion, one of the best coaches in the league. So I, th- I think that's why you have to put them kind of towards the top of this group. Yeah, I agree. And then Who so, are the other teams in the group after them? Okay, Sorry. so I had Oklahoma City, and that presupposes that they keep Russ, because if they trade Russell Westbrook, they drop precipitously. Houston, we already talked about them a little bit. I just worry more about their defense, I think, than you do, but their ceiling is certainly there. Minnesota, I think they're a year away, especially with what they did with their offseason. New Orleans, they were, you know, 45-win team when they were when they were healthy two years ago. I think they're deeper now than they were then. And Phoenix, I'm higher on than most on the premise that when Eric Bledsoe was healthy last year, to me, he was an all-star caliber point guard. And if they can get that in him and the the upgrades they made at the four and everywhere else, I think they're at the very bottom of this tier, but I think they're good enough to make the playoffs, so they have to be in it. I think I like the Pelicans more than you do, but I also think I hate the Pelicans. Oh, my God. Their roster, I mean, for one, Tyreek is the gift and the curse in in human form. It's really hard to say when when they were good, he was great. So it's hard to say they're better off without him. Oh, uh, do, you, do you want do you want a fake trade? This is one that I wish would have happened. So imagine that Portland identified their needs the same way they did, and they signed and traded Myers Leonard for Tyreek. So they basically get a one year rental of Evan Turner with more injury history instead. I I think that yeah. trade works for both teams. 
Yeah, I agree. They could still Kyrie. technically make it, but it's not going to happen now. So I look at what the Pelicans did. First of all, Galloway and Moore, redundant yet terrific. Both good contracts, very good players, players who will help them, players who will fulfill their need and give them help. Buddy Heald, again, you, you probably don't need Buddy Heald any Tom Moore. Fine, good player, probably would have taken more of a swing for the fences on that pick, but I get it. Quincy Pondexter being healthy will be very nice for them. Anthony Davis seems very much primed to return to the upper echelon. It's they're just an interesting team. They're they're all over the place. Losing Ryan Anderson, you know, on paper is a blow. It's not as big a blow when you remember that both Dante Cunningham and Quincy Pondexter can play power forward and probably will play a lot of power forward. And so you end up with a lineup with all these guards, because they do have they have Drew, they have Tyreek, they have Buddy, they have Etuan, and they have Langston Galloway. Those guys are gonna they're gonna play three guards quite a bit with Cunningham and Pondexter playing power forward, and that's the best scenario for them because anything that puts Anthony Davis at center is is better than Omar Ashik at center. And they also um, have Solomon Hill, and they just signed Terrence Jones, who are both yeah Solomon Hill. I forgot to tell him. Yeah, Hill, so those yes. are both high upside guys. You know, if it works awesome if they don't work then you have another guy you have a million you have now what what's different from last year is inevitably a couple of those guys are going to get hurt but now you're not replacing them with below replacement level guys you know you're not replacing them with norris cole or nate robinson you're replacing them with etuan moore langston galloway those guys are actually good those guys can actually play basketball and so yes. I think that they're more resilient, but it still is all about Anthony Davis because as good as those guys are compared to what they had last year, if he plays 60 games or less, they're dead in the water. I got a feeling Anthony Davis is going to have a great year, a I really think, great year. He, I have a feeling Anthony Davis could have an MVP caliber year. I was just going to say, so something I've been rattling around in my brain is I am under the assumption that neither Stephen Curry nor Kevin Durant will win MVP unless they have just a mind-blowing year, just because of the way Dray- it Draymond Green wins MVP. <laughs> so so if, you, if you take those two, not necessarily out of it, but you move their odds down substantially. I love Kawhi. I don't think Kawhi is going to, like, you, you don't see guys like him win MVPs, unless he, unless he takes on a greater offensive role and nails it. LeBron is probably going to coast for at least half the season. So I was sitting there going, okay, well then, who could it be? And the guy who could put up just insane numbers and have the Derrick Rose season is Anthony Davis. And not, not a Derrick Rose season, because he'll actually have numbers to, to warrant it. I think, you know, if, if the Pelicans win 55 games, Anthony Davis very well could be your MVP. Yeah, I, I think that's definitely possible. I mean, and if and I don't think Oklahoma City, if that's where he is, is going to be good enough for Russell Westbrook to get in the mix. Though, if he went to Boston and went crazy then they certainly could. And maybe this is the year, as, as will be considering I wrote a piece advocating they should trade him almost half a year ago, maybe this is the Chris Paul MVP year. That was 2008. Yeah. There was this guy named Obi who got who kind of robbed him. But Yeah, because Nash robbed him. So and Nash didn't rob Kobe. Nash robbed Dirk. Well, no, the first time Nash robbed Shaq, I think, and then the second and this, time. Second Nash time. robbed Dirk. Yeah. Nash robbed everyone in the second time. Yeah, the second LeBron, time. LeBron... Dwayne Wade, Kobe, Dirk, KG, even Duncan. They all had good years. <laughs> and Nash just took the MVP. 
Yeah, I was I, I was actually going through that. I don't know if I was talking with you on Gchat about like so it was I was going through in my head of the question of when did LeBron become the best guy in the league? And I'm not sure that it was that season, but I know it was close to that season. And, I think it was that season. And and it's it's incredible. I mean and, and Chris Paul, I, I I've always thought that Chris Paul deserved it that year, but I think yeah, I think KG had one of his best years and LeBron was amazing, Chris Paul and yeah, and, and they gave it to Steve Nash. The whole field had good years in 2005-06, but Nash scored more because of an injury. So they had a, they gave him the, the award the previous year, and he kind of, him, Shaq, Chauncey Billups, there were a couple other guys. It was a bad year for MVP in 2004-05. And so they gave it to Nash, and then he put up more points the next year, and they felt like they had to give it to him again. Ugh. Whatever. Okay, so the MVP so, is weird sometimes. Okay, so would you do you agree with me though in the inclusion of Minnesota, New Orleans, and Phoenix in this, or would you have some of those teams a tier below? No, I'd have them in there, and I'd have Denver in there. Okay, so I like Denver a lot. I mean, I've written about it kind of at length, but I think they're they're kind of a year away unless they really put it together in terms of Gallinari, Wilson Chandler, and they can get enough of a defense because I think that I love their core long term, but I think that they're I don't see them making the playoffs this year. I think their big their big question mark is Moutier. Because Gallinari and Chandler, Harris and Barton, they've got four reliable wings. They've got two excellent young centers. They And Nurkic apparently has put in real work this offseason. And Kenneth Fareed, they hate him, but I like him. And Daryl Arthur is a hyper-reliable defensive backup. And Gallinari and Chandler let them play small. So they don't need to rely heavily on Kenneth Fareed, but I like him anyway. Moutier is going to have to take a big step forward. But if you look at Moutier's second half last year, it portends well. It does. And and I think if Moutier can play like second half Moutier for a full season, they could be in the playoff hunt very real realistically. And one thing I said over and over about Moutier was when you watch him shoot, Everyone wanted to say that his shot was broken because he couldn't shoot free throws. I really don't believe his shot is broken. And he shot well in the second half. And it'll be very interesting to see what version of Emmanuel Moutier shows up because that's going to make or break what the the Nuggets do. And that might also lead them to a major decision in terms of the shape of their franchise. If they if they fail next season, if they aren't good, it's not a bad situation for them. They've still got... Tremendous future assets, but if they if they're not good next season and the reason isn't injuries, it's probably going to be Emmanuel Moutier. In which case, they then can then target one of the four good point guards in this next draft. They may they're going to have to make a very quick decision on Moutier, which I don't think anyone's particularly comfortable with. But I like the Nuggets. I like their core, and I wouldn't be surprised if they were a surprise team. They're also crazy deep. Which is a, a very yes, useful thing for, for a couple reasons. So they have they not only have Gary Harris, but they drafted two other two guards, and then they have Barton, who I actually I actually think they should trade Will Barton just because he's such a value contract and they don't need him. And so you can yeah, you got to get a lot for that though. Yeah, you certainly do. And so I think that depending on what they want to do with Gallinari, which is the other big piece of this, like I think 
personally that they should probably trade him just because he he's a little bit older and while he's a wonderful player if if basically what you do is you keep him out there and if somebody makes you a, a, a really nice offer you take it and if they don't then you keep him happily and they they can do that from a position of strength and hope that somebody like Boston or whoever else gets a little bit desperate and goes after him and Gallinari is a really good guy he's a really good player and so Gallinari but, and Crowder would be so good together. It'd be amazing. I, I put Gallinari in, in different situations. I did that, if you remember, and I put him on Toronto with, with Damari Carroll, which I thought would have been a really awesome fit. Like, he he could be great next to LeBron in Cleveland. Like, he could do a lot of different things out there. And so you, you could make that work. And what I love about them is that they still have a lot of assets. Like, as you said, they have their own picks. I, I think they have a couple of other picks as well. And so what they can do is, you talked about how, you know, they have to make a decision on Moody I'm not necessarily sure of that because what they can do if they're not sold is you take another guy, Marco Fultz would be the dream, but if it's, you know, if it's, I think it's, it's, it's his name isn't quite Nicotina, but I'm going to call him Nicotina because that's what it looks Andre like. Andre Nicotina. Yes. And the, the French guy, 6'5". Yes. And so, <laughs> so basically you, you do that and then you say, okay, whoever works, works. And while that is scary to do at like center, what's happening in Philly right now, I think a point guard, it can work, especially if you don't want to give any of those guys heavy minutes. And so, so you can roll the dice with that. But what I love about them is let's say Moutier works or they do with, with Gallinari, whatever. If they can identify one or two niches or positions of need, they can throw an absolute ton at that, whether that be using Will Barton in a trade, deciding which of the centers they like more. You know, There are a lot of different things they can do, kind of like what Boston is in the situation of. And just instead of throwing at a lot of different things and seeing what works, just concentrating your assets and making a, a really strong offer or just you know concentrating that on, on the draft guy or whatever you're going to do. So I think they're going to be really good two to three years from now, but I think they're a year away. Yeah, I agree. So I have Denver in the tier below, and I only have one other team with them, and that's the Sacramento Kings. All centers. <laughs> well, very I, li- weird, I like their offseason for the most part. You like their offseason because they didn't do a whole lot. Yeah, um, because they didn't throw bad money out there like some other yeah. teams did. I mean, Aflalo, and the, the the worst signing they did is somebody that's, that you know well, which is, for whatever reason, they think Garrett Temple is the answer to the other part of their point guard puzzle. Yeah, Garrett Temple is not a point guard. Garrett Temple um, cannot run an offense reliably, and now they're choosing to have the only two guys on their team that can run an offense be Temple and Darren Collison, who, beyond his legal issues, is just all of your UCLA hate is just not is just not that good. You know, he's he's a, a just hate UCLA players. I that's get it. All I do, all I do, <laughs> and, and so I think that you know Collison is he's in that group of you know he's a a, a good backup or a shaky starter, and so. Two. They didn't concentrate any resources on that. And, I mean, it's not like they were going to sign Darren or anything like that. But Garrett Temple just wasn't the right guy to bet on. If they just if you just took that contract off the board, I think they did a nice job. Do you want to hate on Aaron Aflalo at all? I've done that on should prior go, podcasts. I mean, should we, should we go back to the Clippers and talk about Luke Richard and Bob Mute? I like Luke Richard and Bob Mute. He's <laughs> okay. a good signing there for the biennial exception. <laughs> Matt and Barnes I, I is like, on the kick too. They got three UCLA guys. Yeah, and Matt Barnes. Wow. Is, Matt Barnes is a is a good fit for this team, except for the whole being idea of Bar- him of him being being with cousins and maybe reinforcing <laughs> some of his negative things. But Matt Barnes being Matt Barnes has always been Matt Barnes' biggest problem. That is true. <laughs> and, and so I'm wondering with them about whether they can do something with Rudy Gay, just because he is a talented basketball player, but he doesn't really. He's not vital to them anymore. 
And they also have... And also, I mean, to me, if DeMarcus Cousins is still on this roster as of March 1st of 2017, I'm going to have no idea what they're doing. Because I, I, it's hard for me to imagine him staying, and you have basically taken the life out of what was the best asset that your team has had in a decade. It's interesting because we saw the Jazz, the Nuggets, the, the Timberwolves, the, the list goes on. We saw such huge returns for superstars, and now no one wants no one wants to do it. No one wants to trade it to a superstar, and the Kings seem to be in the perfect position to trade superstar right now. There's no reason to keep Demarcus Cousins. You do not have a playoff team, Sacramento. You do not have one. You have a a, a small handful. You really have Willie Cauley sign when it comes to talented young players. I don't particularly like what they did with the draft. But, no, I didn't. Uh, I, I mean, I, I'm a scout guy, but I didn't love Papi Giannis at all and Malachi. And I'm just looking at this, and I'm thinking, like, you can fill out your roster with young players by trading DeMarcus Cousins and Rudy Gay right now. You could do so much good. Maybe even add Costa Kufos to that. You don't have to rationalize it much, but you're not going to get much for Rudy Gay. You might, if you're very lucky, if as you know, as Sean Devaney, uh, our sporting news coworker, reported, Rudy Gay was possibly involved in a three-team trade with the Celtics and Clippers that would send Blake Griffin to the Clippers. Blake, Blake Griffin to the Celtics. That's not even going to get you the next pick next year. Okay. The Kings are not a. Rudy Gay is not getting you the next the next pick. Demarcus Cousins could not only get you the Nets pick, but it could get you Jalen Brown, and it could get you something else. <laughs> to Marcus Cousins is highly sought after, and the longer you hold on to him, and the closer it becomes to his contract being up, the less the teams will seek after him. Yeah, because they get less team control, they get him for fewer playoffs, and you get the and and the longer he stays there the more of that stink he gets because of the idea of him like oh well if he's this good why don't his teams ever make the playoffs and you do that in the other part while i agree with you that he is still sought after is that some of the teams that were the most logical destinations for him like boston just got a major commitment from al horford there is a reasonable argument to be made that that diminishes their interest in demarcus cousins because while they could work together, it's not a definite. And, you yeah. know, and, and so... Orlando's another one. Yeah, Orlando's another a one. A year ago, again, and we talked about the Magic a lot, but a year ago, the Magic had a lot of trade options that could have brought them to DeMarcus Cousins. Now, they've gone all in on Serge Ibaka and Bismack Biombo. They're not going to trade for DeMarcus Cousins. <laughs> it's, you know... it's so The, the you're, Rockets you're, don't have assets anymore. Yeah. Um it's it's a, a very different market than it was, and a lot of also some of the asset rich teams like Denver and Minnesota aren't going to trade for Demarcus Cousins. So I think that they I think they've already waited too long. But if they wait even longer, it could get worse. They could have gotten so much for him. They could have at the trade deadline last year or last off season or even right now, but not as much right now because you're right. A lot of options have dried up, but. At the trade deadline last season, they could have gotten such a huge payoff for DeMarcus Cousins. They Keep in mind, Utah got Derek Favors and the number three draft pick that they unfortunately used on Enes Cantor for Darren Williams, 
who was never as valued as DeMarcus Cousins and is. And was about to be a free agent. And was about to be a free agent. We're talking DeMarcus Cousins' trade value is so high. They should trade him. They are not a playoff team. Darren Collison and Aaron Aflalo are their starting backcourt, and it's not 2007, and they're not playing college basketball. Yeah, they did. They did make a Final Four together, but I, I'm aware. I know you're you 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 hate both of them, so I get it. <laughs> yeah, so okay, but so so here here gets into the question. So would you put because uh, I have the Lakers in a tier by themselves below the Kings? Do you agree with that? Yes, I think the Lakers are a team that can't make the playoffs. Like literally, can't make the playoffs. And while I like a lot of their young guys, I think D'Angelo Russell is impressive. I don't love Brandon Ingram as much as most people, but he's interesting. And, you know, they have guys like Larry Nance and Tark Black and whatever else. They're not good enough right now to do much. No, they the Kings in some fuzzy world could maybe make the playoffs. They, they can't. I'm, I'm lying to myself. No, they could. The King- Remember, the remember before they before things fell off when they fired Mike Malone, they were feisty. They were in the mix for it. I could see them, and they're I think they're more talented now than they were then. Maybe. All right. So maybe in a perfect storm in which Dave Yeager brings his grit and grind to Sacramento, the Kings go forty-two and forty, and they slip into the playoffs because the Western Conference is not as deep as it used to be. In fact. One of the themes of this offseason is the Eastern Conference got better, but the Western Conference got the Warriors, got the Durant Warriors. So it's going to be a little bit easier uh, than it was even last year, but definitely more than three years ago when the Kings, when the Suns missed it with 48 wins. It's going to be a little bit easier to make the playoffs in the Eastern, in the Western Conference this year. With that said, the Kings are still a very long shot, and the Lakers simply are not a playoff team. Yeah, there isn't really a way to do that. I mean, Mozgov is going to be 30. I think he might have already turned 30. They're, he's not going to turn into all of a sudden like a butterfly beyond what he was. And he was pretty good for the Cavs the second half of the prior season. But he's not going to be that. Dang is a good player, but he's not good enough to make that kind of a difference, to be a sea change type of player. And... Their guys are still really young. Like, this isn't a circumstance of where, I mean, even if D'Angelo Russell takes a massive jump in his second year, he's still going to have a lot of kinks to work out. I think we even saw that when he was in that amazing, the best summer league game maybe I've ever seen, did the ice water in his veins celebration and let TJ McConnell run by him for what very well could have been the game-winning layup. Like, he's a guy who is is close. He's I, I, I really like his talent, but... It's hard for me to imagine, first of all, it's hard for me to imagine them having even close to a top half defense, probably even a top 20 defense. And their offense will probably get there eventually, but it's not there now. I want to circle back a little bit okay. before we wrap this up. And I'm going to talk about the Suns, because I think you're right that Eric Bledsoe was an elite level point guard when he was healthy. And I think Devin Booker is going to have a great second season. I find their front court fascinating. Everyone on their front court should be playing power forward. I mean, uh, not other than Chandler and Len, but I'm talking all their forwards should be playing powerful. PJ Tucker. Jared Dudley. Yeah. Dragon Bender. Marquise Chris. You're right. I'm interested in how they're going to balance out having anything. So they're going to rely, without a doubt, because you're not going to play Devin Booker at three. I don't see Devin Booker. I see him as a very, very traditional shooting guard. One of the few. Him and Bradley Beal. Yeah, sure. And, you know, to a degree, Clay Thompson. But you don't want to slide Devin Booker down to three as a long-term option. 
it's going to be interesting to see how much they put on Bledsoe because Bledsoe is, without a doubt, their creative player, their, their, their guy who can take them to the next level. If they end up, if Bledsoe gets hurt again and Brandon Knight and Devin Booker are their starting guards, the creativity level is not there as much. But it's going to be very interesting to see what Bledsoe does. This is a big year for him. Um, obviously, he's under a long-term contract, so financially, that's not that doesn't matter. But in terms of establish, it reminds me of Kemba Walker last season. Eric Bledsoe has a chance to remind people how good he is. Um, a lot of people have forgotten Eric Bledsoe is very good, but he's had injury problems seemingly constantly, and it's going to be really interesting. And and Alex Len has a chance to take a huge step forward. I'm a little worried about if they actually start. Bender or Chris, I don't know that either of them is ready. I mean, Dragon Bender doesn't even understand, you know, goaltending rules right now. So it's uh, it's a situation where their their young talent and their old talent, or their prime talent in some cases, their young talent isn't quite ready to to do it. But they're going to rely on them. They're going to rely on Chris and Bender and Booker and Tyler Eulis could play major minutes. Leandro Barbosa was a fun signing, but I can't imagine. I feel like he's going to take a big step backward. <laughs> he's just he's just a good vet to have on the team. I don't. Yeah, I think sure. and he'll he'll play some spot minutes, but I think right. that he's he's more there for that. Whereas Dudley, I think, is really going to play. It's going to be very interesting to see how Earl balances out. And by the way, I thought that was a lazy hire. I'm not. Same I'm not going to. I'm not going to disparage him. He will be. A, he should. He shouldn't have been the interim coach. He wasn't ready for that. He probably needed a few more years of seasoning on a bench to, before he was ready for a head coaching job. There were better candidates. But we know Robert Sarver is nothing if not cheap. It was, it's going to be very interesting to see how he resists the temptation to possibly play P.J. Tucker and Jared Dudley together at the forward positions quite a bit. And whether he should resist that temptation because they're probably going to be his best options at the forward spots. His best lineup is probably going to be Eric Bledsoe, Devin Booker, P.J. Tucker, Jared Dudley, and either Chandler or Len. I'm not quite sure who's going to play better this year. But uh, it'll be interesting to see how he deals with that and how he gets minutes to T.J. Warren while having two currently better but almost no upside type players in Tucker and Dudley uh, ahead of T.J. Warren in the rotation, how he manages Chris and Bender, because I don't think either of them is ready to be on an NBA court right now, even though Chris has looked good at times in, in, in summer league. Brandon Knight's minutes are going to be very interesting. It's a lot of minutes juggling in Phoenix, and it's going to be very interesting to see how that minutes distribution from another UCLA player, who you're probably going to hate on right now, will be done. I, I liked Watson as a player. I'm not sure he's ready to be. I'm not sure he's ready to be a coach, but... I, I'm more of a believer in Bender. I'm not saying he should start right away, but I think I think he's closer than you think. I, I was I've been very impressed with him for a long time. He's been one of my favorites for a couple of years now, and I think he's more. He's together. so fascinating because he's been on our radar for three years, despite be, still being the youngest guy in this draft. And he didn't even play last year. I mean, he not was much. playing at a Euro Cup level, the same level that Porzingis was averaging like 27 minutes a game. Bender was averaging like six minutes a game. Yeah. It, and and so, it's definitely something to think about, but I, I think that what they need to do this year is they need to get a, a real good idea of two things. One is 
like kind of whether Bender or Chris, whether they're both natural power forwards or whether they need to be other positions, and whether the Bledsoe Booker Knight ecosystem is survivable. Because if you have to trade one of them, then that fundamentally changes your team. And I'm and I I think that they would they wouldn't find as robust a market for Brandon Knight in the season as they could if they had traded him during the summer when teams were more desperate for point guard. Take a look at what Chicago did. Like that, that that you could get a situation like that, but they need to figure those things out so that when this really comes together as next off season, that they that they know what they have and they know what they need. And if they can get to that point, I don't care at really at all for them. And this is similar to Denver about wins and losses this year. If they can get the answers to the questions that are most important for them, they had a successful season. Can we talk about how? Many teams are in the same boat as the Suns right now in terms of having a lot of depth and youth in the West right now. You've got the Timberwolves, of course, but the Timberwolves seem to have a kind of slated out starting five in their ideal future, which is Chris Dunn, Zach Levine, Andrew Wiggins, someone at power forward, and, of course, Carl Towns. Uh, you have the Nuggets, who have crazy amounts of depth. You have the Jazz, crazy amounts of depth. You have Portland, a lot of depth. You have the Lakers, who I'm going to tentatively mention, but there's a lot of teams out there that right now, I think they, they need to, you need to remember, like, and, and the Orlando Magic were in this position before they traded away half their young depth. But when you're developing young players, I think that's a really good position to be in. Of yeah, having a, exactly. And, that's what. That's one of the reasons to to sort of wrap this. I know we're we're, we're about to wrap up and, and you know to wrap this back to the beginning conversation. One of the reasons I'm frustrated with the Magic is they didn't wait to see who worked. And one of the things I love about what the Nuggets, the Jazz, the Suns, the Timberwolves, etc. have done is they are waiting to see who actually deserves those spots. They are not making moves to win now. The Jazz are going to win now. I mean, unless the Jazz go through another season where they have horrible injuries, and even then, they have so much depth right now, they might win now even if they have the same kind of injuries. So the Jazz are in a are, are sort of at the, the tail end of where, where they're going to have to start making decisions, but the Nuggets, the Suns, the Lakers, the Timberwolves are in this great position where they are able to watch who develops how and make rational decisions. And the Timberwolves are a little different because they have two number one overall picks on their roster. But the Timberwolves still are making decisions on Shabazz Muhammad, on Gorgie Jang, on Zach Levine even, who they really like. But they can make that decision because they left themselves the comfort area to make that decision. And they don't have to rush those guys too. Like No rush. Chris if, the Dunn- Timberwolves don't, if the Timberwolves don't make the playoffs... That's hardly a disaster. Yeah, and if Chris, if Chris Dunn takes a year or two, they have Ricky Rubio, who's who's yep. an underrated point guard. And if Chris Dunn comes on faster and you think you don't need Rubio anymore, there will be teams, not a ton of teams, but there will be teams lining up to take it. The point guard market is fascinating right now. And it's, I think, and this is another thing that we've talked about a few times, there's four good point guards coming into next year's uh, draft. There's Markel Fultz. At Washington, there's Dennis Smith at NC State, there's De'Aaron Fox at Kentucky, and Andre Nicotino. Uh, yes, Andre Nicotino, Frank, Frank Nicotino, or however exactly you pronounce it, from France. And 
you probably want to, because we've seen a team like the Nuggets. The Nuggets do not have a good point guard right now, but they're sticking with Moutier for at least another year before they add a new point guard. So if you're a team that is looking to push out a Ricky Rubio or a Brandon Knight, do it now. Don't wait. <laughs> and you're going to you're going to regret waiting. Uh there's so many good point guards in this next draft and teams that draft a good point guard do not want to block him with a good in his prime point guard um who's not potentially doesn't have the upside. So this is a really good time to look around and see who's interested in Ricky Rubio if you believe Chris Dunn is as good or wait until the trade deadline. But to me, the Timberwolves need to make a decision on Ricky Rubio by the trade deadline rather than waiting until next offseason because by next offseason, that team that sort of needs a point guard now might have Markel Fultz, might have De'Aaron Fox, and might be willing to say, we don't want to pay much for Ricky Rubio. And, and that it's an interesting, like, the massive quantity of good point guards right now in the NBA is crazy and is a game changer and does change trade value in particular. And so it'll, it'll be very interesting to see how that shakes out. Yeah, and you could also see the other way that could affect it. You talked about how it could affect, you know, the teams, some of the teams that need point guards not needing them anymore. It could also lead to a change in the supply. And the example I would use here is Boston. So let's say Boston gets a pick and the best player available is Markel Fultz. They, if, if Markel Fultz <laughs> is there and he's the best player, Danny Ainge will take him. Danny Ainge will never stop from taking a big, talented guard. Like, that is just what will happen. Then, if he's as good as people think he is, maybe Isaiah Thomas comes on the market then. Or maybe he doesn't. Maybe they just keep Isaiah for that year, and then you see how it goes. Or maybe maybe Marcus Smart hits the market. You know, so what happens then is there are a certain number of spots, and some of those spots will not be earned. Some of those spots will be perceived. Like, that is the Alfred Payton problem. You know, Alfred Payton has one of these spots, even though he doesn't, even though he isn't good enough, in my opinion. But there will be those, and Derrick Rose will be a free agent, of course, Russell Westbrook, and a lot of other guys. And so, you will run Der- into this... Darren Williams. The yeah. chances that Darren Williams gets a starting job next season, if that happens, I, I... Look, Darren Williams has had a really weird career. Darren Williams was, was okay last year, but... The chances Darren Williams gets a starting job next season are very low with four potential top 10 picks coming into the draft with all of the point guard talent we have with several teams having two guys that they actually like for the long term. Like, for instance, the Timberwolves and the Celtics. The chances that a guy like Darren Williams gets a starting job next year, the chances Brandon Jennings, who took a risk on himself and wants to prove he's worth the starting job, they have really uphill battles. Yeah, you're right. And one thing also to to end this on that I'm fascinated by is so we did all this and we went through the tiers. For each of us, there were there were teams that were separated at the bottom of it, and the bottom two teams in the East and the bottom team in the West are the exact same teams as last year. So even though I think we would argue that all three of them got better, the Nets, the Sixers, and the Lakers, in some order, are the, are still the three worst teams in the league. Yeah, I think that's clear. I don't know that necessarily. I'm not as sure that the Nets got better. They're the one team that I think it would be potential for them to actually get worse. But they could also like, trade Brooke Lopez and fall off a cliff. I, I like what they did. I'm just not sure that they got or, or Brooke Lopez could get hurt, which is way worse for that franchise. If they can't, they have to move him before he gets hurt. They, 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 I can't believe they haven't traded him yet. Yeah, I mean, there's there's suitors, there's teams that could use a center, and Brooke Lopez is 
extremely skilled and coming off a good season. And the guy has, you know, I, I was talking to a, a Nets writer a year ago who basically said there are people within that organization that feel like Brooke Lopez is one injury away from barely being able to play anymore. Or two years ago, actually. It was it was coming off of his missing uh, 65 games, 65 games in, in 2013-14. And there were a lot of people who were worried that, look, for all his talent, the guy had missed 20, 65 games in 13-14 and had missed uh, 61 games in, in 11-12. This was a guy who was close at one point to potentially just not being able to play in the NBA anymore because of his injuries. And the fact that they've kept him this long is very weird. And you're right. Like DeMarcus Cousins, I do not understand it. I think when you, I think sometimes teams just have a hard time accepting their reality. And for the Nets, it's particularly hard because they don't even control their draft picks. And I would not be surprised to see Brooke Lopez traded. I think that you have to trade him before he gets hurt again. And if you don't, then you're just almost committing to him. Um, if, if, if he gets hurt again, you're almost saying we're sticking by him because what use is trading him after another injury? Yeah, it's a great point. Thanks so much for taking the time. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks again to Adi Joseph for taking the time to come on. You can read him at The Sporting News, www.sportingnews.com, and you can also follow him on Twitter at Adi Joseph. That's A-D-I-J-O-S-E-P-H. Great follow. Um, a really talented writer and, of course, a great editor as well. He does so much of my work for The Sporting News. And I really enjoyed his perspective on this. And he didn't have as much prep as I did about the tier thing. That was actually something I worked through on my flight back from Vegas after Summer League. But I think that we were had a, I think that was an illuminating conversation just in terms of thinking about where teams are. And, of course, that's a little bit different from what we usually discuss in July. But I think it's a worthwhile point of discussion at this point just to really see where the league is, especially considering the major free agents have basically all settled, even though technically a couple of them haven't signed. Also, I'm thrilled, as I said last week, to be a part of the CLNS radio family. That means that you can use their app if you want to to listen to this podcast and many other quality programs. And also, of course, to Blue Apron, the excellent sponsor, and to add to your culinary repertoire, and you can go to www dot blueapron.com slash real gm and as always feedback is appreciated you can reach out to me on twitter at danny larue d-a-n-n-y-l-e-r-o-u-x or you can email me danny larue nba at gmail.com i read everything i respond to as much as i can and i really do appreciate it it's something that is wonderful and if you like this podcast or any other you should definitely download every episode, subscribe using whatever player you like, and tell other people, you know, write a review on Amazon, on iTunes, give it a rating, tell people on Reddit, whatever you want to do. I mean, it really, what can be hard in this business is that you just need to make sure if you, you try to put out a quality product, I mean, that's my, that's my number one goal, but then some of that is just about getting the information out there, and so whatever you can do if you feel so moved helps, it really does. And I really do appreciate it. So thank you so much to all of you for listening. Take care and make it a great day.
Randall's is celebrating 50 years of serving the community and your family. Stop in for the same great service, better selection, and lower prices throughout the store. Shop with a remarkable card and get boneless, skinless chicken breast for just $1.77 a pound. And get juicy premium large sweet peaches, just $1.49 a pound. Tastier meats, sweeter produce, better celebrations. Randall's, proudly serving Texas families since 1966. The deals are getting hotter during the Deer Days of Summer. Get 0% financing for 60 months on all John Deere compact tractors. Plus, get a best-in-class six-year powertrain warranty at no additional cost. Hurry in today for the hot deals of summer. Offer ends August 2nd, 2016, subject to approved installment credit with John Deere Financial. Terms, conditions, exclusions, and warranty limitations apply. See dealer for details. Visit your local John Deere dealer today to take advantage of special savings going on now. Find out more at myjohndeeredealer.com. The deals are getting hotter during the Deer Days of Summer. Get 0% financing for 60 months on all John Deere compact tractors. Plus, get a best-in-class six-year powertrain warranty at no additional cost. Hurry in today for the hot deals of summer. Offer ends August 2nd, 2016, subject to approved installment credit with John Deere Financial. Terms, conditions, exclusions, and warranty limitations apply. See dealer for details. Visit your local John Deere dealer today to take advantage of special savings going on now. Find out more at myjohndeeredealer.com.